This is Phantom Electric Ghost of Live on the Air with John Brink for the first time. And uh, I want to welcome you to the Phantom Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Keith. I uh, hope you're doing well, too. want to let people know that we are a featured podcast on Newsly. You can see that icon up there that says Listen on Newsly. They are a sponsor of the podcast. And uh, later tonight, people can hear an audio-only version of that on Newsly. For those of you who want to try that out, if you use coupon code GHOST, you can get that for 30 days free to check it out. No obligation. Uh, and I uh, want to let people know that we're actually at episode 1032 with this episode. Tracking that on Apple Podcasts since 2016. And uh, again, for those who don't uh, are listening rather than watching, um, you can you can actually go to www.johnabrink.com and that URL will be clickable so you can find out more about John uh, at that link. And maybe you can tell people, like, if they click on that link, what do they find there? Everything about us, uh, our podcast, our uh, social media connections, uh, everything pretty well. Uh, our books, uh, I'm an author as well. I have several books that... Uh, I've written, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, and then uh, I'm uh, also, for your information, I'm a, a bodybuilder at 83 years old. I think I'm the oldest competitive bodybuilder in North America. Uh, qualified for the Arnolds. And uh, and then I'm a public speaker, and uh, I'm a podcaster, not quite as big as you are. I've been doing it since before COVID. So about 200 podcasts in that area from around the globe. That's awesome. You like have a lot of hats. Like I hold, I hold a lot of hats myself. Um, I'm a pro. I'm a software developer by day, a music producer, and a podcaster. Um, so I kind of have a couple of things I do, but that's kind of like the way things are. Like a lot of times, like people have are multifaceted, and may, people might only know one aspect of a person. But I would find after talking to a lot of people on this podcast that people have a lot of. Uh, you know, different things that they do. And sometimes their side gigs or the other things they do are kind of more kind of, they feel that more than maybe their day job. Um, but this is where we talk to people to get their point of view. So I know you're, you're 82 years young. And 83, you've been a, 83 now. Okay. Yeah, I was I going by you know, I'm the first, first my birthday, you know, oh, so wow. 83. Yeah, yeah. 83. That's the That's awesome. 83 years young. Young, yes. And you're a bodybuilder. We can get into that. That's that's amazing. Uh, yes. You're an author and you're a podcaster and you've been a CEO. So maybe you can kind of give give a brief background. I know I'll give a little bit of, from your bio. You, you were born in Nazi-occupied Holland in the beginning of the Second World War. And um, uh, you, you talked about how your father would draft into the Dutch Army. And uh, you were liberated... Uh, by Canadian soldiers in like uh, 1945. Um, so maybe you can talk more about, you know, for, go go into a deeper your background, but that's kind of some of the highlights from your, your bio. Okay, so the, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Keith. And then, uh, yeah, so I was born November the 1st, 1940, and Holland was uh, uh, invaded by the German army in April of 1940. And uh, my dad was drafted into the Dutch army and the last time they heard from him, he was uh, seen in Rotterdam 
the big city that was bombed by the Germans and thousands and thousands of people died. So my mom would not know if he had survived for five years. Uh, I was the youngest, uh, born in November of 1940. Uh, she was pregnant with me when he left. And then I had a sister, one year old, a brother, two years older. And so they had a tough go. Uh, uh, I still remember things from when uh, I was about three, or three and a half, four years old. Hundreds of planes in the air bombing the Germans, uh, especially their cities and their uh, infrastructure for conducting the war. And again, look at northeastern Holland is close to the border into the North Sea, just over on the other side of the border, about 15 minutes away by car uh, with the German uh, uh, infrastructure touching the North Sea. So Hamburg, Kiel, Bremen, all those infrastructures were bombed by the uh, uh, Allied forces. And I still, even now at three and a half, four years old, I remember hundreds, hundreds of planes in the air, daytime, nighttime bombing, up to 300 big bombers. And uh, it always kind of stayed with you. And then my mom would take our kids out when they were bombing, especially at nights, not to look at it and, and say, oh, this is beautiful. But they, it was safer to be outside than inside the house. Yeah, it's like an earthquake. You don't want to be inside a building. You know, it's no, the same kind no. of idea. And in the distance, we could see the cities burning and... Uh, and so it was a tough going. Then, especially the winter of 1944-45 was the hunger winter. It was extremely mm. cold and there was no more food. The Germans had cut off all the flow of food into our area. And as kids, we would every morning go with gunny sacks into the railroad yards and pick up anything edible and burnable. And the reason that we did as kids, because the, uh, the Germans wouldn't shoot us, they just booed us one, and the following day we'd be back. And, no. uh, but I still remember even now the, cold, the, the, the winter 1944 was, uh, 45 was the hunger winter, and it was the coldest one on record. And I still can feel even now today still the feeling of hunger and the feeling of extreme cold. And then the other ones, the feeling of anxiety of losing the one parent, the only one we had, because everybody else was busy with their own stuff. So, uh, and then in the winter or in the uh, April the 12th, 1945, we were liberated by uh, the Canadian Army, April the 12th, 1945. And it made such an impression on me. It was rough going when they came in because we were close to the German border and the Canadians were pushing out the Germans. And uh, we saw far too much that we should not have seen. Uh, uh, dead yeah, bodies. Yeah. You know. yeah, that's a hard thing to go through war. I mean, anybody, I think a lot of people today, you know, that maybe grow up in the, in the U.S. and haven't been exposed, we have a volunteer army now, not, not okay. draft, you know. So people, a lot of people don't feel what goes on because it's like a volunteer army, it's not a draft army. And so Definitely. like, you know, so my, 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 you know, I have family that had been, you know, in that period and, and talk about the difference in terms of it being exposed to, you know, like Vietnam or Korea where some of my, you know, relatives had been involved in World War II. But it's like, I think there's not like, there's a disconnect between what, what that kind of situation and you grew up in it. And so that's, exactly. that's, 
I think there's a there's sometimes people don't understand like the consequences because like you were dealing with the consequences of what Hitler did. Like exactly. your country was dealing and people will kind of now they wink and nod toward fascists and dictators and oligarchs and they, they act like, well, that's okay. Like, I don't think you guys have read your history. <laughs> no. And, and, and you know, very appropriate. it seems like, yeah, I still remember that point that we were liberated by the Canadian army. I knew from that point forward, it was my dream to go to Canada and uh, to the land of my heroes. But to come back to what you were saying about, I still, even now, uh, you know, I was four, five years old. That is 78 years later. It still affected me by PTSD, the inner child, and that for all those people that may think that a war happens and then after the war, everything is back to normal, not so. It will change one generation and maybe even a second one. And that too often we think too lightly about the democratic system, how precious it is. And let me assure you from experience, it can change so quickly. Overnight, you may have a dictatorship and then look around the country, around the world. You have an example is Hitler, as you said. The other example is Putin. The other yeah. one, North Korea, is Kim. The yeah. other example is Iran and, and just go on. And then China. And China then we in North America and Canada and the U.S., you know, I, I, I fly a lot, uh, you know, in my businesses that I have. And I look outside the window, either in the United States or in Canada, I look outside, they say it's paradise. And then, but, and then I watch the news and I hear these people talking about, well, government, you know, whatever, you know, the democratic government is precious because that's yeah. how it all started. And before you know it, and far too close, have become to the point of accepting dictatorship as an option. And that is by people that are naive. They have no idea what it man means. Look in Venezuela, it's a good example. You know, where they pack people into planes and they just kick them out of there and, uh, you know, yeah. or, or having not knowing. And that happened in our town where we lived in Holland in the Second World War. They knock at your door, they take part of your family, and they never come back. And so uh, it's the democratic system is precious and and not enough people fully, fully appreciate what a dictatorship means. But that then being said, I, 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 my dream was to go to Canada and I wanted to go when I was 17 and my parents wouldn't let me. And so I got drafted in. There was a draft in, in, in Holland and I was drafted into the Air Force for 30 months. And then uh, it was a good experience, actually, but uh, in special forces. So it gave me a good training. And then I worked in the lumber industry. And, and that will come back to you a little bit later as to why lumber. That became part of my future, actually. And, uh, and then I finally knew I, I want when I was 23. And, and I was not very successful academically. I failed grade three and I failed grade seven three times. And then they said, what are we going to do with this guy? Should we send them to a mentally challenged school? My parents were beautiful persons. And now they decided then, let's get them a trade. And so they sent me to a mm -hmm. furniture factory, and I became a furniture maker. And, and I loved uh, the lumber industry. And, my, uh, and so 
but I always kind of felt I had failed because my friends in the school that went on to college and then university, and for me, at uh, I went to work and got a job when I was 14. And a lot of times in Holland, what happened is that if you, at some point you get married, you have to want to get a, a job and a career, and then you want to buy a house, and then they say, where are your diplomas? Well, I have Oh, no yeah, they're looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> And so I felt I had to start anew again. And so I, I uh, got an, uh, emigrated to Canada when I was 23. I took a suitcase. I had two sets of clothes, three books. And, and I took $150, Canadian dollars, and left uh, Amsterdam. And I couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul, didn't have a job. And, but I wanted to build a lumber mill. That was my dream. So I had to go to... For those that are familiar with Canada, uh, British Columbia is on the west coast of Canada, and it's a beautiful, beautiful province, and it has a lot of timber. And, and so I wanted to go to British Columbia. And when I arrived in Vancouver, uh, then I went to the immigration department. Unfortunately, there was a German fellow that I could speak some German. I told him what I wanted to do. He said, go to, and that's where I am today, to Prince George which is about 500 miles north of Vancouver. And so that's where I came off the bus in July of 1964 and with my suitcase, my three, two sets of clothes and my three books. And I counted my money in my pocket and I had exactly $25.47. I counted it three times. Wow. But what I had plenty of is attitude I always, mm -hmm. even when I was young, I believed that if today is a tough day, tomorrow is a better one. The other one, I have a passion with all the things that I do still today. Uh, uh, I give it all that I got and then work ethic. I work harder than anybody, but will follow is success. And I wanted to build a lumber mill and uh, it didn't take very long. I was, a, I was a cleanup man, then a lumber pilot. And then before you know it, I already was managing a sawmill. And then I started a, a lumber mill and 10 years after I got here and today, uh, not bragging about what I have, but about 10 different companies uh, that uh, I own. And, and uh, I'm very, very involved and in obviously all the other things that I do. Well, I uh, think that's a really impressive thing that a lot of people, you know, been, there's been waves of people in our country today. They're always, they're talking all this anti-immigration they're always thinking that the immigrants going to come and take jobs or going to weaken the economy. This this whole country, the U.S. and Canada, are are, are nations of immigrants. That's and, certainly not. And, and 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 immigrants usually come with a drive. Exactly. And the story of the ones that are, you know are not being told, like your story, is not often told enough of how many immigrants actually create businesses. Exactly. How many immigrants get patents? How many immigrants are scientists or doctors or they productive members of society where people who make a mistake get that they get to draw attention to the people who make have failures. Yeah. And of course, there are people that have situations, but you draw too much attention to the negative rather than the positive. And then you brandish it as, as, a, as just a paintbrush on everybody. And I think it's just more, people should have more holistic thinking 
And you don't necessarily have to be educated to get that. You can, you have to have and, a little bit of compassion. <laughs> and, it's a, and you're absolutely right, Keith. And it's a proven fact that the, the problems with uh, immigrants versus the population in terms of things going wrong or, or problems that happen to them is much lower than they are for the population. Why? Because A, they're still trying to prove themselves and they have, they're still building their future. And I don't care about anybody this. Right now, today, we still in North America, Canada and the United States is the land of opportunity. We are so blessed with plenty and in, in, in opportunity. And then it is amazing how often politically we're trying to destroy it. And, and because, and that is being naive because they have no idea. Think back about, I say, I said, look back at what happens in other places. Central Europe may be, or Middle East, as you look at, at Putin, you look at China, you look at North Korea, you look at Iran, Venezuela. So we are so fortunate that what they have, because it will change overnight. And yeah. then if not after that, come back to normal because it simply doesn't. So the other thing I was going to mention to you. So mm -hmm. then, when I came here, uh, I did that, and uh, and 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 then, the the even when I was successful, I was already building companies and doing all of it. And everybody said to me, "Oh, you're so successful!" And I didn't feel that. I still felt that failing the grade three and then grade seven three times that I had failed. And so and and you and so. Yeah, I did, I did. But but then one thing happened to me is that I walked into a store. I I was already here for 32 years in 1997. I came in 65. I walked into a store. I picked up a book. I still don't know why I did that. And I looked in that book that I picked up. The book style was driven to distraction. And I, I looked at the book and the book said ADHD. I had never even heard about ADHD. Oh. I said, oh, my God, that's me. So maybe that's my part. And I you wrote figured out that what, what an issue that you had had and you didn't know how to define it. Exactly. And, and so the other part that I found out much later is ADHD is people in general thought that it was probably 8% of the population. It's more like 20%. There is not a day that goes by that I not encounter people that say, hey, I have ADHD. And, uh, you know, so that certainly uh, told me a lot. And then the other thing that uh, I should mention to you is that uh, I'm an author as well, amazingly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so they always said to me, you should write a book. And, and, and so uh, about your story. And so. I wrote a book that was 80 years of my experience, and then it took me 70 years to start it, stop. Writing books is not easy. Start, yeah. stop, and then about five years ago, I said, if I don't do it now, it will not happen. So I wrote this book, Against oh, All Odds. Oh, and awesome. it's, it's all about the ups and downs, not about hurrah, hurrah, how successful John is, but rather about all the... The, the ups and downs in between. Well, I think it's a process. You know, because somebody who tells you that they just did something overnight is not believable. No. Like, it, like you know, I'm a musician. It's like everybody talks about overnight sensations. 
everybody I've ever seen is like five, 10 years worth of work, right? It's all Hard that work. practice. It's all the practice. Like exactly. whether you're an athlete or an artist, there's a lot of practice that goes into what you do. And there's a lot of like happy accidents. If you want to be, you know, more positive rather than mistakes. You see right? when people so sometimes say to me, <laughs> Uh, you you've been successful. You're lucky. I said no. That's not the way it works. The harder you work, the luckier you get. That's how it works. You know, yeah, you have to put the time in. I mean, yeah. I think I think the problem a lot of people have is perfection. Yeah. What I've run into is people will not do something. So, well, I'm not going to be Shakespeare, or I'm not going to be Beethoven. I'm not going to be. They compare themselves to somebody that's like, okay, well, you're making it so unattainable. Yeah. That you could never do it, right? Not but if you so. say that it's okay, I can try it. And I can, like a lot of the entrepreneurs, is like you see so many different variations, like, you know, of something like the Model T. Why is it a Model T? You know, it's like you go through the letters until you get to the one that works. Exactly. You know, you're like there's so many iterations. I do design in software. We do multiple iterations of things. The yeah. first thing we do doesn't work. You, you know, 99% of the time it doesn't work. No. Right. So we, if we gave up, we'd never get it done. So it's like the idea is that you have to actually make mistakes to learn. We have lessons learned, and so many people get scared of 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 that result. And yeah. I think it's like it's, it's like you said, it's a wave. It's up and down. It's not you don't suddenly get from zero to a ten thousand and you're no. there. No, it, it's it's a, it's a progression. Exactly, and you have to lay that foundation right because. Once you lay that foundation on which you build, because there is no, you cannot teach somebody experience. You know, that's, you have to live it. And that means you have to fall down in order to stand up again and, and then do it once, twice, three times, whatever it takes and stay the course. And most of the people that we know now, the multi-billionaires and all of those kind of guys, they all want through, uh, they all have a story to tell and and nothing came easy uh, because that's the way it is but at the same time you know if you have the passion like you have and what you do and i know already you know just by interacting with you that you have that and so do i is then you can do it well you stay the course you give it all that you got and then if all don't, things don't go quite right then you stay with it until you got it corrected and go from there yeah, a lot of things are opportunity because we're living in like this um, information age, you know, and, and the problem is some people were like, they look at their numbers, right? They look at their metrics. Like, so you go on social media, you get a million views. You say, that's success. Yeah. But I've heard stories where somebody had like a hundred views, but a producer saw an emerging artist. They only had a hundred views and then gave them an opportunity. And then they it wasn't the million view person that got that opportunity. It was a person that only had a hundred views. So it's the quality of the people who actually see your work. It, and so some people who get dejected and say, well, I only got a hundred views. So I'm going to give up are missing the boat boat because if you, it's a law of attraction. And if you put your stuff out there, it doesn't necessarily have to be the volume of how many people looked at it, but the quality of the people that looked at it and the p interest of the people you may have aligned to on the frequency they're on, and then you get opportunities. And those and opportunities kind of come out of anywhere. <laughs> and stay the course, Keith. Don't give up. Stay with it. Never, ever, ever give up. Always stay the course. And I believe that's 
the key. Yeah, you showing know? up. Showing yeah. up every day exactly. is a very strong thing to do. My father was a, my grandpa was a coal miner. Yeah. And he said, like, showing up every day is how I got my house, is how I got my farm, exactly. how I got these cars. Because I showed up every day and it was hard and I didn't give up, but I did it. And then I, he was able to do other things. It's, it's like it's, you just ha you have to be present. Yeah. And so and I feel the same. And, and so that if I show you this once more, the 2547, that's what I had when I came here off the bus and I didn't have anything. And and but I had a dream and I couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul, didn't have a job. But I knew that I would get a sawmill. And and then the other thing, and that's what happened in 1965. And then now, even now still, uh, all these years later, nearly 38 years later, uh, uh, you know, the I'm still in the mornings. I usually get up at 5.30 in the mornings and I always think that I'm late. And then I always make my bed <laughs> when I come up. And then I always look at the day ahead of me, give it everything that I got, uh, I have the passion even now still for all the things that I do. Well, I think it's important because you tell you tell me like you have a lot of things that you do, but you seem you have like a, a good regimen, you know, because you're, you're a bodybuilder, right? So you you're taking care of yourself. The fact that you're here, eighty three years young, right? Yeah. It's in you're in in good enough shape to be a bodybuilder. I think it's that kind of mentality. If you respect yourself if you respect your body if you respect your mind then you do things that that are like positive things like, so making sure you 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 take care of your body your body will take care of you then you'll have a, a better mindset and a better like soul and heart because if you feel good you're bound to be more positive about the day than if you don't feel good <laughs> So the interesting part about it is that I'm going to show you another book that I did. Where is that picture of the other one that uh, that I just had? The so the, uh, I wrote this one, uh, ADHD, ADHD mm -hmm. unlocked, and uh, you know so in and because so many people talked about it that I felt that to write it, and so I did that, and uh, it's very very popular actually, and uh, you know so. Yeah, and, and and I thought it was important for me to talk about it because the stigma around it, at least in my little way, uh, you know, the interesting part of the book, the book that I read, uh, uh, you know, d Driven to Distraction, that I read in 1997, after I was here already for 32 years, written by Dr. Halliwell uh, in 1990. He's going to be on my podcast in the next week, amazingly. Can you believe it? And 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 so the other thing that I found is that a lot of young people, in particular, you know, they, they and and even older ones, and saying, "What do you do?" And saying, "What uh, after you finish school? What, uh, what career are you thinking about?" And and a lot of them say to me, "I don't know what to do." And I say, "Well, it's really important because that." It's going to be a big part of your life, and there are so many people that don't like their jobs yeah. that they are doing. Or I say, change, or do something different, and uh, you know. I think so you have to you have to find your passion, and I think it's also interesting because you talked about in your early education, you you had problems, probably because you had HD, ADHD, and right. people in during that time they didn't know how to identify it. No, they didn't try to understand it. And no. they just said, well, these people, certain kids, 
just can't do it, right? And so you got to go here, you got to go there. I think the world has gotten a little bit more attuned because there's people now that can identify, oh, sometimes one size doesn't fit all. And I think a lot of times our systems of education and work and everything are designed to say, well, you got to fit in that box. Yes. Well, a lot of times people don't fit in a box, especially creative people. Yeah. Don't get in the box. And they might have ADHD, but you can still be a valuable member of society if you don't fit the paradigm that everybody thinks you should fit. The amazing part, Keith, is, and I know it from my podcasting that I've done and all the interaction that I've done, I bet you 25%, if not more than that, uh, one third of all the successful entrepreneurs, ADHD. Yeah, it makes and, sense. And they, they talk to me about it saying, how can you do all this? They got 10 companies that you're running. You're an author. You're a public speaker. You're podcasting, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, all those. Kind of, how do you do that all? I said ADHD. Yeah, I think it's like the I think creative people I've run into it with writers, artists, poets, painters. It seems like a lot of times that creative drive Cause we get like, I get itchy. Like I, I want to change. Right. So a lot of times I, I, like I was talking about, I do like I shift genres. I won't just stay in one genre. I'll go into another one. I'll start exactly. doing something visual and I might not be the best at it, but I'm yeah. willing to attempt exactly. things that people probably think I shouldn't attempt, yeah. but, <laughs> I, but, but I don't care cause I'm going to do it. So I think that a lot of times is that drive to push the envelope to be on the kind of bleeding edge. It's not for people who want to be in a box. No. Because people in the box, they won't attempt that. No. But I think the people who have the ADHD and they have that creative drive and they kind of have that itch that they don't feel comfortable just doing the same thing every day. So they have to, they have their, you know, their mind wanders and they got to go where it goes. You're absolutely right. So the other book that I felt that talking about passion and developing your passion, I wrote another book, Finding Your Passion living the dream and then saying to me okay john are you living the dream john i say i am (laughs) every day i love it and then i i I have to tell you another one is that i'm writing another book and that will be my fourth one it's amazing uh, with grade seven and then you know growing up in uh in holland i spoke dialect in the extreme northeastern part of holland they don't even understand me so i had to acquire to speak Mm. high Dutch and by, I barely got that under control. Then I'm in Canada. I can't speak English. And uh, <laughs> I had to, And then I want to become a, a speaker and a, a writer, but somehow I did it. The other book that I'm writing, I don't know if you can see it. Can you yeah. see this one? Yeah, I see it. Live young, living young. Dying old. Oh, I didn't see the bottom part. Yeah. Yeah. Dying, living young. Okay. I can see the full thing now. Living young, dying old. Okay. Can you picture That's of me cool. on there? Yeah, is that your bodybuilder? Yeah. Yeah, is that the bodybuilder? Yeah. Is that that what that book's about? Is that what it's about? No, that's not what it is about. I simply show a picture saying that what does this mean? Living young, dying old is that age is just a number. Mm -hmm. What is it about is quality of life and saying that this body that you have been given it's very forgiving, but you can only abuse it for so long and then <laughs> yeah. it will not be able to go any further. In fact, I read an, an article or a book 
And in that, they quoted a study that was done of 100,000 people in the United States, actually, that had, had biopsies done to establish as to why they died. Mm-hmm. Is not one of them died at old age. Mm-hmm. Food for thought, right? Yeah. And, and we have a lot of bad, bad outcomes in the U.S. right now. Like, exactly. because... <laughs> so the point that I'm making is here is that be careful with your diet and and have exercise. You don't have to be a bodybuilder or anything like yeah, that, yeah. but at least get a half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour a day of being active. Go for the walk or something else. And then be careful with your diet. You know, like if I go to a grocery store and I buy groceries, I'm usually, I don't go to the center aisles because all of those Products packaged. You know, yeah. you don't want that stuff. You want no. you want to I think the core, the problem with America, I would just kind of digress, is like people get caught up in their jobs to such a degree that they don't cook for themselves. They don't look at the ingredients, they go for the quick fix, they go for the quick, you know, processed meal. The yes. thing that's like they they're they're already kind of stressed out, so they're they're drinking something that comes from some corporate company that's got highly it's highly processed. They're under stress already. It's high fat. It's high carbs. It's high sugar. It's got all kinds of chemicals in it, and they don't take the time to say, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna go make a, a fresh breakfast. I'm gonna create a do my own lunch. I'm gonna do my own dinner." They say, "Well, I'm too stressed out. I'm working seventy hours a week. I can't." cook and then they get on that train and then i don't have time to exercise because i'm doing 70 hours a week so i don't have time to go to the gym and i don't have time to do this i think it's like you have to set boundaries exactly. because if you don't set the boundaries they'll use you i mean the systems will use you and if you if they they, they see that you, you you'll give it all and then you die it's like but they don't care to find somebody else it's like you've got to give yourself the time <laughs> it's your body and it's your future. And, and for all the reasons that you said, your body, extremely forgiving, and will take a certain amount of abuse. And then at one point, far too early from when you should die, you're going to get sick of something. And, and usually it involves things related to diet. Diet is absolutely critical. It, it, there is enough information out there for people to understand it. And uh, in my case, I'm lucky. Uh, my wife is vegan, and I'm probably 80, 20. And, and so my body to me is very, very important. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's why I go to the gym. Uh, not, to, not to be a bodybuilder, it just gave me a goal. But, yeah, uh, yeah. And I've done so, but, but just to stay fit and healthy in terms of diet. And then the other part, Keith, was important. You have that as well. Mentally, you know, be attitude you know uh, bless your how fortunate we are looking around uh, 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 the world where we are and we covered that already but uh, you know it's it's such a precious life and uh, I want to be 120 yeah I mean it's possible I think a lot of people you know they get so stressed out from all the inputs it's like being an artist I what I've learned is to um give my space gives myself some time to have um get away from the noise yeah right so i live i live in new hampshire we have these pines forest i like to go for walks along the river trails 
Yeah, I like to mountain bike. I like to hike. I like to snowshoe. That's right. why I live in New Hampshire. Exactly. Because, and I made a decision like five years ago to not be a road warrior anymore, jumping on the planes. Now I used to have to go to clients and go on planes and be going Sunday to Thursday, jumping in an Uber, jumping on the plane. And that yeah. was like stressing me out. And I said, you know, I don't have to do that. I can, I, I, I trust myself. I know my capabilities. Now yeah. I'm a consultant. I work remotely and yeah. I get to do the podcast. I get to do my music. I get yeah. to do my software work and I get to do my bike rides Paradise. And, my and my cooking. And so yeah. I, I took away all those crazy commutes where I was giving up my time and thinking I needed to do that to prove something. I don't, I don't have, I, I needed the space. Exactly. You, like you said, you have to set the boundary. Exactly. I need the boundary so I can cook, so yeah. I can take my walk, yeah. so I can sleep, so yeah. I can have a certain amount of time and do my exercise. If you feel like, well, I can't even do that because the requirements mean I can't do it. You've got to kind of challenge that paradigm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Precisely like that. Yeah. So it's because everything is so temporary because, uh, you know, that I know so many people that uh, already at a young age of uh, maybe in the 40s or 50s and, and saying, well, I can't do that anymore. I'm too old, you know, so. Never, you know, the, uh, <laughs> so you're never too old. And uh, yeah, if so many people have started new careers. I mean, on this podcast, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs. They're in their 50s or their late 40s or 60s that start their life over because they had they got rid of their self-limiting beliefs. They got rid of this imposter syndrome. They really and they said, you know what? I always wanted to be a writer but my parents told me that's kind of foo-foo and you can't do that. Or I exactly. want to be a painter. I can't I want to be a film director. I want to be, have my own business. And people told me, no, you can't do that. You get to work for Fortune 500. And and then finally they realized like, there's nothing stopped me but myself. Exactly. And so there's, there's well, some maturity. The yeah, there's a maturity seems to happen where people are willing. And I've seen the young people. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs. There's a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings that I say, like, I don't have to do what grandpa did. I don't have to do what my mom did or my exactly. uncle did. They're, they're, they're saying, I don't need to go that path. I'm going a different path. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and precisely for that reason, uh, Keith, I wrote this book, Finding Your Passion, Living the Dream. And, and I have a number of people that I'm quoting in this book that have made those choices when they were in their late 30s or in their 40s and and said, for all the reasons that you said, no, I'm going to go a different direction. So the other thing I was going to mention to you, I, I don't know if you can see it. If, yeah, I'm going to send you copies of these books, but can you read what is underneath it, the price? Oh, uh, oh, it's like 25, 47. It's that number you had. That's, <laughs> the the number when you first showed up. <laughs> All my books have a price twenty five forty seven. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You got a paradigm for you. Look, what it makes. They, I understand it. I understand it because you're saying that you're setting that price because yeah. it's like that number means a lot to you. But exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and and so and so all the books that i do i write them and they are available on all major medias amazon and on and on and on but also audible and audible. i read oh you do it is that your voice is, is there your own I, voice on audible yeah oh, i think cool. i if if you do audible with all due respect to the ones that don't but you should do it in your own voice i think that is very very important and uh 
you know, yeah. so and they've been quite successful, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. Some people, I think they have that imposter syndrome when it comes to that because they feel like well, got to be a professional actor. It's like it's the same kind of reason, like if you're a songwriter and you don't sing your own song because you you don't believe you have the voice and yeah. then you give it to somebody else. And then, when you find, and then eventually you discover that you, you're more successful if you actually sing it and you might not have the perfect voice. Yeah. But your voice is perfect for your material because you wrote it. Yeah. And that's why the singer songwriter is very authentic, right? Yeah. And it's very honest because like that person wrote that song and they're singing that song. Yeah. And it's not any kind of you know putting down people who are professional singers and they don't no. write their stuff. No, no. But I, there's something when when you actually do it and you wrote it, it just seems like a, a full performance. One of my most favorable one is. Eric Clapton, uh, wonderful night, and uh, you mm -hmm. know the, the music and uh, the, the song, and and the other fella, uh, perfect uh, uh, that wrote the song. Anyway, so yeah, I yeah. I I love the music, and uh, you know so, and and the artists that are very very good at uh, what they are doing, you know. So yeah. But I, just, I think it's cool that you actually used your own voice because it's like, I think it brings that authenticity to the, because like you wrote it and then you're talking it and you're speaking it and it just feels like it feels like the full circle project. It yeah. is, it's, your, it's your voice. Yes. In the, in the words and in the audio, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So the, the other thing that I feel, Keith, and I, I'm sure you will agree with me, is that social media has become big and then uh you know that but from when i grew up 20 30 years ago people used to interact more they uh, mm -hmm. have dinner together they go get together in some other settings that they have and 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 then COVID came that kind of disappeared to a certain extent but then before COVID, and you already did some of that so did i to a certain extent i started to do and on on television and uh, local television more than anything interviews about different subjects mainly the lumber industry and then COVID came and so we couldn't do that anymore because the studio was closed so mm -hmm. then i had an a, an apartment i uh, you know where i do my own podcasting from now and, and we developed a studio there and say let's start podcasting uh and, right, yeah. and and so and we started podcasting and then the further we get into it and and we were already well over a hundred then i think and and although we have amazing people here in our region and area but uh it, it is still limited uh prince george has about eighty thousand people two hundred thousand people in northern bc probably and so the an amazing amount of uh, uh uh, you know, talents and people that we had on podcasting and say, we have to make it broader. And so, yeah, yeah. You can so we joined up to <laughs> Potmatch, you know, and, and Potmatch yeah. opened the door for us to do the global thing. And, uh, and, yeah. and so I'm not podcasting. I don't know if we came through podcasts, but we likely did. And, uh, you know, and, and so uh, it opened the world and, yeah, and it's an interesting thing because you know we started back in 2016 using Instagram, right? So what what we used to do and we still do with our musician friends is right. I'm a musician and I post on Instagram, 
And right. what would happen is other musicians would go and like my post. Yeah. And then I would send them a pitch. Hey, you want to get interviewed like a behind the in- music type of interview on my podcast? It's free. Just come on yeah. the show and talk about your art. Yeah. And I would get four or five people a month just doing that in yeah. the beginning back in 2016. And yeah. then it started building because I would get, you know, their agents would tell other artists and then I would start getting artists coming in. It was just, but it was still using like an online capability. I was using the fact That's that Instagram allowed me to post. I had a certain base of people there and they would just would be self uh, giving me all these like, um, you know, these pitches were providing guests. Yes. And then, you know, tools like Podmetric might come in like, oh, it's like a Tinder for, for, podcast guest and host and now you get matched and now you have an even more opportunity but exactly. it's just the presence on social media and the internet tools yes. that are out there what i liked if you even back in 2016 i was interviewing people from bands from south africa germany u.s Amazing. japan australia yeah. it, it wasn't just like oh i'm on pbs and i'm only talking to people in new hampshire which is what it would have been 20 years ago. Like you could only talk to so musicians in New England with maybe Boston, maybe New York, yeah, you know, Northeast. And you yeah. like, maybe once in a while I could catch some guy coming through Boston and talk to him and they came from LA or something, but you would never be able to reach somebody from no. Tokyo. No. <laughs> and, and the interesting part about it, Keith, is that, you know, it's there you and me are having a discussion developing a friendship, really, having so many things similar. And then uh, you're in New Hampshire, and I'm on the other side of North America in British Columbia, 500 miles north of Vancouver. And and so we just met, and we've been talking for about an hour already. But the interesting part about it is that because of your... Uh, people all around you and, and the medias that you connect to, same with us, tens of thousands of people will be listening to you and me having a conversation. And yeah. that is the amazing thing about this podcasting is it's still on its infancy. It's still relatively new, uh, you know, uh, like for us, uh, you know, I think it was 2018, 2019 when we first got involved and doing it on a local basis, as you did. And by now, it's expanding. And then now we are global. I talk to people in Central Europe, uh, South America, uh, you know, you name it. I talk to them and uh, on all kinds of different topics and subjects. It is amazing. Yeah, it's just it's, it's exponential growth. And it. You know, it helps me as a musician. People said when I first started doing it, they said, well, you're a musician. Why would you talk to a CEO? You're a musician. Why would you talk to a filmmaker? Like, why would you talk to a therapist? I said, well, don't you read, don't you listen to songwriters? Songwriters, we talk about, we tell stories like a filmmaker or an author tells stories. We don't just tell stories about what we know. We put ourselves, we create characters. Yeah. And so the idea, what I also said is that with the idea of being creative, well, a CEO is creative, an entrepreneur is creative, a lecturer is creative, you know, a therapist is creative. They figure out how to read the person. And, and, and a musician, that, you, you read the crowd. If you're a public speaker, you read the crowd. If you're going to be successful, you read the audience. 
And, and so precisely <laughs> on that, that I do with my podcasting, I do with my writing of the book, the publications uh, and the public speaking that I do, I'm a storyteller. That's who I am. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I love about it. And that's what makes me successful. Well, also what I like about it is in a world that's got 90 second, 30 second, 60 second clips, podcasters tend to go 30 minutes or an hour. Some exactly. of them even go like some of the big ones go two hours. Um, and so the, in a world where people tell you like A&R people and the, you know, the people who, who do the promotions is, oh, you know, you should keep that down to 15 minutes. It's like, no, in this form, the long form ver version of it is why people like it. Cause it's authentic and they feel like it's not an infomercial. They exactly. feel it's like they're like a live radio broadcast exactly. and it feels they get drawn in because they get to know people. They get exactly. to know the guests. They get to know the host. They, they, it's interesting. And it feels like it wasn't, you know, manufactured. And so exactly. I think in a world where people see so many manufactured things, there are not, they're kind of fake. They, they, they like the idea that it's real. Yeah, I agree with you. And so that's, it's interesting and that will go further and that, uh, you know, will go, broader and uh, and but it's still on its infancy and it's an amazing forum because that i could go all over north america and do presentations uh, to uh you know 200 300 400 people if i do i may get a fee for it uh, but it will probably take me two days here i can have uh, interaction with you uh, and, and at the same time, I know that there will be ten, tens of thousands of people around us looking at what we have to discuss and finding it extremely interesting. And that will, again, stimulate other interactions. So that's why this forum is still in its beginnings and go, still will go much further. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool way to, you know, to look at it like, if I think of all the thousand interviews I've had, I got a Rolodex of like a thousand people. Yeah. I've talked to. And I've had many people come back three, four, five times. Right. Exactly. Um, in, in my and so I've got relationships where I had a bunch of musicians one time. We decided to do a three-day festival, and all of them did it for free. We had 30 bands play three days. Oh god. And we didn't pay them at all. We just said because oh. they, they knew me and I knew them. We, we, everybody had a 30 minute set and we did a bedroom producer festival for three days live. Oh my goodness. And everybody, and we did it like in 2021 and 2022. We didn't do it this year, but we're thinking about next year. But, um, it, it was just cool that you could, and I didn't even work with agents. I worked directly, directly with artists. Yeah. And it was like having a real relationship yes. because it is a real relationship. Say, well, you can't have a real relationship on the net. Well, I end up having, a lot of connections with a lot of people that I can call them up right now and we can, we just ch chat and it's not like, well, you're, you're costing me money. No, they, they'll talk to me. Like, like they're, they're a friend. They're like, they're a colleague, you know, they're, there's somebody I can actually, you know, have a, and, a, a communication with that's real. And the same thing is happening with podcasting is that with the 200 some odd people that I have interacted with them, they become friends. And even if I, uh, you know, talk to them or want to give one of them a call or they call me and say, 
I want, I want to share with you a bit of an update. Would you have time to do? I said, sure. Yeah. Or I may ask them for whatever reason. Uh, you develop those relationships. And, uh, you know, yeah. that uh, the other day I was at Costco here walking through the store. I think it was uh, yesterday or the day before. And, and somebody just came up to me. I have no idea who the person was. He said, I like your podcast. I watch all of them. I said, <laughs> That's always cool. That's always cool when you you go somewhere and somebody recognizes you. Kind of like, oh wow, I'm getting that. I'm getting bigger. <laughs> like, yeah. but um, yeah, it wasn't. The, I never did it for that. You know, because all you're doing is like, I do it because I like to talk to people. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I also like the opportunities that come because I get I get opportunities to like you know I've been working with some companies. Yeah. I get, you know, cause I'm a software guy, but I'm a talk, I talk on this podcast sure. and I got an opportunity to like beta test a music software system. Sure. Because I talked about, you know, creativity and I've been, I had a really productive conversation with, with one of the guys and we, I was actually doing some work and I'm not asking for money or anything, but it's like, sometimes you get opportunities and because you're not talking about the dollar and you just, you just you get interested, then sometimes things will just happen. Exactly, actually give you opportunities if you're not always grabbing for the money. If you yeah. if you do it because you you think it's interesting, if yeah. you give somebody a shot and you you consult with them, you give them an idea, and you say, well, that's kind of a freebie. But you know, I think people need to understand it's like like it's like that elevator pitch or that exactly. hallway conversation, or yeah. you're at the you're at a you're at the golf course and you're talking to somebody, you can have those kind of interactions here on the internet. Exactly. And, and they can be just as productive as what was on the golf course. Or more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have even more of them because there's more people you're dealing with. <laughs> I, I have uh, uh, got to go into a meeting in the next five to 10 minutes. Okay. So, yeah, it's fine. I, I really enjoyed uh, being on your podcast and, uh, uh, really uh, being uh, 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 a pleasure to me and uh, hearing your perspective. And uh, I'm really impressed with your background and all the things that you're doing. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to have the privilege to be on your show. We want to let people know about your link again. Uh, that's http www.johnabrink.com. That will be fully clickable. When we're published, we're on all the major podcast platforms. We'll be sending you a landing page tomorrow which, and all the individual links. So uh, look forward to that. We've been live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Those links are active right now and will be active going forward. And I thank you again for being a guest on the Family Like the Ghost podcast. And have a great evening. Thanks, Keith. Take care. Stay in touch. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Make a